Hey you all, before we start into our newest episode, I wanted to make a little disclaimer. And the reason for that is because the episode you're about to hear is something Laura and I recorded over a month ago. And that was before the whole coronavirus craziness and lockdown started. So back then we decided to hold off on releasing that episode and focused more on current events, which were the last three episodes. So in this episode you're about to hear, we're also referring to our online course, Shadow Work, Trauma and Occult Forces. And back then we just started enrollment, so it was still available to join. However, right now, currently we are in the middle of that course. The enrollment is closed and it is full. However, if you're still interested in the course at some time in the future, because we will offer it again, most likely sometime next year, or we will offer another course probably by the end of the year on a different topic, um, then feel free to sign up to my mailing list or newsletter on my website, veilofreality.com, and you will be notified regarding future offerings. With that being said, enjoy the show. Hello, everyone. We welcome you back to another episode of the Cosmic Matrix podcast with your hosts, Bernard Günther and Laura Matsu. And today's topic, what we like to explore a bit deeper, is about spiritual realizations versus spiritual actualizations and what the difference is in all that. Um, so, before we get deeper into it, we obviously want to define what is a spiritual realization and what is a spiritual actualization. And generally speaking, a spiritual realization is basically an experience of your quote-unquote higher nature or a feeling, not a feeling, an experiencing of oneness with all that is uh, based maybe on spiritual uh, practices you've been engaging with. Um, you've been gone to a retreat, meditation retreat or your own practice or it come, can come even sudden via divine grace. Uh, a sense of experience of your true nature, your soul being beyond the ego structure, beyond the identification with the I and all your wants, needs, desires, and also an experience of just deep joy or even ecstasy or fulfillment that doesn't depend on any external factors whatsoever. It's really hard to put into words. Um, so that's a spiritual realization in a sense, uh, but a spiritual actualization is to truly embody that experience and truly uh, live it in everyday life. It also ties into, in my view, to the embodiment process, uh, to embodying higher knowledge and living accordingly in your everyday life. Uh, and it's not based on just having a peak experience. I think spiritualization can be also even just a peak experience. And a spiritual actualization is really to have it embodied, grounded in your everyday life. Similar, yeah. similar to like also knowledge, for example. We can read a lot of spiritual literature, teachings, and all of that inspiring quotes. And in that moment, we do get inspired. We resonate deeply with the truth. Our true being resonates with it and we see it. We're like, oh my God, that's it. Mm. But sooner or later, you go about your day, you forget about it. You don't apply it because you have not embodied the knowledge. Yeah, exactly. And also um, with a spiritual actualization, it's constant. So you could have an experience of like non-dual 
awareness and you're like, and, and do you think you gave a good example that when we read like Dharma, like any kind of knowledge, like these people are speaking, usually if they're a high level being, they're speaking from the self aspect. So they're able to cut right through to yourself, which is underneath the layers of like our conditioning, our thoughts, our traumas, you know, underneath the layers, the self like wants to shine through. So that's why, you know, Adyashanti is a good example. Like when people read him, like they're like, holy, they, they can almost like there's a part of them that can like access that state of enlightenment temporarily. But to live in that state of being that he's describing takes like, well, for starters, it takes a certain level of being to even be ready to take that journey. And it also takes a lot of like intentional practice. Yeah, it can help it happen immediately, which is what the whole Zen tradition is about, like instant waking up, you know, but then keep in mind, a lot of the Zen practitioners are very highly skilled meditators as well. So, um, you know, I think the, with the spiritual realization, it, doesn't tend to last and the spiritual actualization is you're like this is my way of existing now you know that's kind of what it's like and so we're going to go into some personal experiences about that as well but I think we're going to start just by reading a quote by John Wellwood. Yeah, from an excellent book we both can highly recommend I've quoted him before in my last essay as well the book is called The Psychology of awakening and he talks exactly about that uh, spiritual realization between uh, actualization yeah so um this is what he says realization is a movement from personality to being the direct recognition of one's ultimate nature leading towards liberation from the conditioned self while actualization refers to how we integrate that realization in all the situations of our life when people have major spiritual openings, often during periods of intensive practice or retreat, they may imagine that everything has changed and that they will never be the same again. Indeed, spiritual work can open people up profoundly and help them live free of the compulsions of their conditioning for long stretches of time. But at some point after the retreat ends, when they encounter circumstances that trigger their emotional reactivity or their habitual tensions and defenses, they may find their spiritual practice has hardly penetrated their conditioned personality, which remains mostly intact, generating the same tendencies it always has. Of course, realization has many levels, from temporary experiences to more stable attainment. Yet even among advanced spiritual practitioners, certain islands, unexampled complexes of personal and cultural conditioning, blind spots or areas of self-deception may often remain intact within the pure stream of their realization. Some would say that these shadow elements are signs of deficiency in one's spiritual practice or realization, and this is undoubtedly true. Yet since they are so common, they also point to the general difficulty of integrating spiritual awakenings into the entire fabric of our human embodiment. Many Westerners have tried to take up this model, pursuing impersonal realization while neglecting their personal life, 
but have found in the end that this was like wearing a suit of clothes that didn't quite fit. Taking on the challenges of a fully engaged personal life, finding right livelihood in a complex materialistic world, being involved in a committed, intimate relationship, dealing with the social and political concerns facing us at every turn, inevitably brings up unresolved psychological issues. For psychological and spiritual work to be mutually supportive allies in the liberation and embodiment of the human spirit, we need to re-envision both paths for our time so that psychological work can serve spiritual development while spiritual work can take into account psychological development. These two traditions would then come together as convergent streams, furthering humanity's evolution towards realizing its true, true nature as belonging to the universal mystery that surrounds and inhabits all things and embody this larger nature and embodying this larger nature as human presence in the world, thus serving as a crucial link between heaven and earth. And this is a, uh, this connection between psychological and spiritual work is what we've decided to do in our shadow work, trauma and occult forces uh, course that we have coming up. Um, I believe that we'll be doing registration when this gets released. It's Yeah, it's the registration already open by the time this podcast. Yeah. So, and this is an important thing is because, you know, for Westerners and even for people, because we have a globalized world now, like we are dealing with psychological issues that Buddha didn't have. And even if you look at Buddha through a, a psychological lens, what one thing that he did have was secure attachment. So he had a really loving, attuned, connected relationship with his mother, and that allowed him to go out in the world. And, you know, his dad was another story because he wanted him to be a king or, and, you know, was kind of trying to enforce his own beliefs and uh, onto him and set up his life for him. But he did have one person who really connected to him, saw mm -hmm. who he was, really loved him. And for most of us, we don't have that. And a lot of our developmental traumas are basically like attachment issues. Like we don't know how to actually have human relationships. And so, you know, I think this is just really pointing at just the fundamental, uh, we need to combine the psychological and spiritual. And the other night or last night I was watching, you were watching too, Muji. It was live in Rishikesh and Mukji is yeah. basically a teacher of the self, you know, and he sees everything through the lens of the self. But a lot of the people who are coming to him, you know, uh, they were coming to him with issues where it was very clear, to, at least for you and I, that they were dealing with some trauma, exactly. you know, and, yeah. but, but, and so what he would do is he would talk about, you know, the self and how we view things through our conditioned personality, et cetera, you know, and it would bring them to a sp state of spiritual realization mm -hmm. because he was a transmitter of that energy to them in that moment. But then a few questions that came up were people like, oh, I felt so great after I went to go see your talk. And then later on, I like felt really terrible and my life is falling apart. Like one guy was literally telling him that I felt so great seeing you talk. And then I started doing these meditations and then I became homeless. And like <laughs> basically his whole physical life fell apart because it's also really important that we, you know, if we're going to be practicing these spiritual practice and we don't want to become a monk or escape into a monastery and make that a hundred percent of our life. We're going to have to figure out a way to integrate into our life. And this is actually where the difficult work comes from. In fact, the people who did this, like in, in the uh, tradition of Tibetan Buddhism that I study, they were true tantric practitioners in the sense that they took really advanced spiritual teachings and they were at a very high level of being and they went back into the world. So they went to the cave and then they came out of the cave and went back into the world and being like, if we can't, 
um, be the the bodhisattvas that we are in monasteries in the world, then what are our practices? Yeah. No, no, thank you for sharing, especially that quote by John Wellwood. There's a lot, lot to unpack there <laughs> because we all, it relates to all of us who are on the path towards awakening and truth seeking and doing innocent sincere work and whatnot. And there are various traps, but it also ties into uh, what I've written about in more depth in my essay, the necessity to surrender to the divine and spiritualize the being. Um, what I call the fourfold approach to work on all levels. And, and basically what John Well would say to combine true psychological work with embodiment work or basically and spiritual work to bring them both together. Mm. And again, that's also what we're going to explore more in depth exactly in our course, combining all of those, the, the spiritual, psychological, esoteric, and also somatic aspect of self-work. Yeah, these are all things that we've just found out through our own journey of like trial and error too. So exactly what, like what it offers people is it's kind of a shortcut because it took me like I was doing this from 2012 until now. And even just the past year, I started actually figuring out how to work with my triggers in the moment, you know, yeah. a little bit better than letting them getting taken over. You know, obviously I still get triggered, but now I have some tools and I'm like, okay, let's see what this is about. Yeah. And also, you know, <laughs> we talked about this in the last podcast a little bit about environmental consciousness and our visit to Germany. And that's the, the classic thing again, like I mentioned many times before, Ram Das quote, you know. If you think you're enlightened, spend some time or a few weeks with your family mm-hmm. <laughs> and the triggers came up here and there a little bit, you know, yeah. for me based on, on just basic childhood wounding and whatnot. But um, so it's really important, like, because again, like basically people can fall into two camps and like Laura just said, we have also fallen the same quote, traps, quote unquote, but all these are lessons, you know, trial and error. But sometimes we can get lost in the psychological realm. You know, and I remember Sri Aurobindo being very critical of, of of psychology or psychoanalysis as he talked, but that was also big back in the older days and Freudian talk psychology, which kind of digs in the mud and always, you know, everything's the fault of your mom and your dad and whatnot. So you can, even in quote unquote shadow work, you can stuck in, you know, making the darkness conscious and integrating, integrating and digging in the mud if it's not matched with something higher, bringing down something high and the, the spiritual aspect comes which comes is what into, which is what young here. which is what young brought to freud's theories as he brought the divine aspect of, exactly of the brought the work. bridge and like also like to give credit because so many people you know ourselves included we we kind of jump into like very exotic esoteric eastern spiritual traditions and follow that mm-hmm. you know because we have become disillusioned with the western way of existing and working and the materialistic view but on the same token, over the past, you know, years and decade or even decades, even past 10 years, especially a lot of uh, progress has been made in terms of somatic spiritual psychotherapy right? yeah. that helps us really to deal with, like to approach this way. And like you mentioned, that is more geared helpful for how we grew up because a lot of these Eastern traditions, you know, for, you know, they are um, created, like you just mentioned with Buddha or others uh, by people who have a very different tradition and very different upbringing you know ties even into we can on the side on the shamanism people are drawn to that working with medicine plants not realizing that even those cultures have a complete different upbringing in worldview that doesn't really work with the way we have been quote-unquote damaged but india also needs to like evolve in the sense that when you go there you can just see 
the lack of um they don't they don't seem to understand how important the f- matter is in the physical world and yeah. they like you know just you see like there's just trash every, like in these sacred cities like Varanasi like just so much trash and you know this is a reflection of the denial of the material world as well so even india even like you know i have to maybe i have a bit of a bias but a lot of indian people actually have more of access to this kind of divine state than I see in Westerners. like for, And that's why we idealize them, but they haven't grounded it into matter. And that's kind of what also spiritual actualization does is it grounds it into your physical body and there's no escaping it at that point, i.e. like a lot of spiritual realizations, they can happen, you know, out of body. Mm -hmm. They can happen on ayahuasca or mushrooms or any psychedelics, or even when you reach a peak state after you do a yoga class, especially like Kundalini yoga is really great for giving spiritual experiences. Um, But but it doesn't get, you need to ground it into the body. And in order to ground it into the body, you need to explore the body and what's being held in the unconscious of the body, basically. Yeah. So exactly. So you just addressed the other side of the coin, um, especially like you said in India, or like uh, the approach of just spiritual work and deny uh, at the cost of denying matter, the physical body, the physical body, even rejecting physical reality. It's a trap of the aesthetics, right? Yeah. That we need to get out of samsara, you know, get out of the body. Or see it in, in the Christian uh, dogmatic tradition, the body is evil. We need to get into heaven. We are born in sin. It's, it's this rejection of the material. And we, in, essentially, it's about that integral approach of bringing both worlds together. And I was reading about Ramana Maharishi um, last night. He wrote that book, I Am That. And he basically had like um, a spiritual uh, actualization. It wasn't an embodied way, but he basically accessed this high state of being and his physical body was not at that same level. Like apparently he had like, you know, insects crawling all over him and like he just lived, he didn't live, like he didn't regard his, like he didn't take care of his physical body, Mm -hmm. you know, but that's because what was trying to anchor into his physical being was too high of a frequency for his physical being. And that's also another thing I think that's, that happens is like the energy that wants that, that we're accessing with our state of consciousness, the body is not yet prepared to take that in. It's like, I like the analogy of this, you know, like electricity, you're shooting, you have a cable that can only hold 10 volts and all of a sudden you're shooting 2000 volts. So it's going to fry. Yeah. Right. Hence like a lot of people then want equate the spiritual experience or the goal of this enlightened samadhi state out of body yeah but that's still an escape it's not permanent and that's you know that's also the foundation of Sri Aurobindo's integral yoga is now to bring down to really transform the physical body to transform matter to spiritualize so we can truly evolve to a higher state of being and not just make it a state of consciousness, but a complete transformation of the physical of physicality yeah exactly so I think we're, it'd be good to share some personal experiences in this. 
even though later on we're going to also <laughs> touch on the point of um, this. This is a really important point for turning a spiritual realization into an actualization is not talking about it. But the stuff that I'm going to be talking about happened years ago. So yeah, and also been, sharing from our own uh, yeah, thoughts. So like, you yeah, know, from my, I can even share something that happened y yesterday too. So one main thing that, uh, can I start? Please go ahead. So one main thing that happened to me, um, so I had been doing yoga since the end of 2012 and meditating every day since 2013, 14, gradually increasing it. And then it was the winter right before we started talking. So it was only two years ago, actually. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I was either after my first Vipassana retreat. I think it was after or before. It was either after or before my first Vipassana retreat. So I saw this article the other day talking about like how people have like varying levels of mental dialogues and some people don't have a mental dialogue at all. And I had a, like a constant mental dialogue, meaning like I had like five people in my head having a conversation at once. And like, it was a constant incessant stream of thoughts. And then one day, and I'll remember the exact moment. Um, uh, I, I think I've told this story before as well, but anyway, I was like walking, I was living at the eco village at the time I walked out of the door and there was this girl sitting out and I was going to have some tobacco with her. And then all of a sudden all the voices stopped. And I was like, I was like, Whoa, it just was just struck me because it was just, I never had that happen before. And the first thing that happened was my ego was like, oh my God, I'm going to be so bored now. Like that was my ego's reaction to it, which points to something really important is when we have some spiritual, um, like a real spiritual realization or even actualization, the ego will tend to be terrified because it means that some it's losing its hold on you. Like I kind of just interjected there. Yeah. Because, but even like, I think a spiritual realization, that's where you can get into that as well because it ties into spiritual bypassing, the ego can easily hijack it. Yeah, we're going to talk and about one, that later. We talk, but it's, once it's actualized, a spiritual actualization, true embodiment, it's already, you know, the ego has no hold anymore. It's, it's yeah. transformed, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so anyway, I, I just didn't remark it as anything substantial until years later that it never came back. So I had this constant stream of thoughts going on and it just never came back for whatever reason. I think some shift of consciousness basically occurred in my mind and it just never came back. But I didn't tell anyone about it because I was actually scared or I, my ego self was actually terrified. And I was also trying to like, it, it's confusing too. It's like terrifying. It's confusing. And you're not quite sure. You're like, it's very strange to have these experiences happen because like you, there's a part of you that know that knows that life isn't ever going to be the same. But then the ego is also hoping that somehow life will go back to being the same. You know what I mean? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. 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 Um, so, so that was, and I didn't talk about it to anyone. Um, and so that kind of is an example of like, something that changed in my consciousness permanently and never changed back. Um, and, and the, who knows, like maybe if I, I think if I, at that point, if I would have actually talked about it, then it wouldn't have done anything because it was so remarkably like, like it was, it was a very memorable moment. So mm -hmm. that's just an example. And then just to give an example in my own life of a spiritual realization, like me, they can't, can't happen constantly. Even the other day, um, 
I, I mean, you were in here on the computer, but I was just sitting on the couch and I was just feeling like pure joy and like almost bliss for absolutely no reason, like no reason. And it was lasting for hours. And then what I did is I started writing about it and I was going to post it and I posted something about it on Facebook, just how grateful I am. And the second I did that, it went away. That's very, no. That's so that's an example of a spiritual realization. Uh, and then, well, you know, maybe let's go because I want to, yeah, I can share some of mine as well. But on that note, you know, the, because it ties into the, actually the issue of sharing spiritual realizations prematurely. Yeah. Right. I think we all have done that to varying degrees. I'm not put, taking myself out of the equation um, because we are excited. Right. Yeah. And just to share and just, just out of pure excitement to share something like, Oh my, see what happens. And it's not even what doesn't necessarily comes from just the like show of ego, like, look, I'm better. Sometimes it comes with a well-meaning intention, but still the ego is involved needing to share, needing to say something. Yeah. For right? me, I also like all of the, lots of these experience happened when I was alone and I just wanted someone to connect to who understood. Yeah. You know, exactly. That's why we do it. That's what a lot of social media is about. And even like in, in my own personal, sto uh, you know, path, I mean, readers of my work know I share my personal process in my writings a lot. Right. So for the most part, I've shared uh, my struggles, my, you know, sh also my shortcomings, my issues, my traumas, wounds and, and lessons I've learned over the years. And It's my work has also been evolving as I, has been, as I have been changing, but definitely I infuse my personal experiences, realizations with bigger picture topics, so to speak, together. So that's why also people can relate. But for the most part, um, whenever I had a breakthrough realization, I also don't jump on <laughs> social media or just write an article right away. Oh, this is what happens. I, let, I sit with it. I let it more, you know, turn into like more in a body experience and actualizations Having said that, definitely, I was in the past, I've been also prematurely sharing certain realizations or experiences, mm. you know, that which then uh, was like a peak experience, but not embodied. And I had to like, okay, then more stuff came up. It was actually not fully, you know, it was more like an, sometimes even an intellectual experience of deeply resonating with something, having an insight mm -hmm. and mistaking that for an embodied actualization. That's right? most people when they like read spiritual like literature, they like f have a sense because whatever is being transmitted through that literature is touching that true self in them. Yeah. But as far as like, you know, knowledge and learning and reading from books, like nothing actually beats this direct experience. Um, and I, I, and you'll know too, um, because when we have like, I've, I, for instance, like I had this experience, like I've, I've spoken about it now on podcast cause it's at least a year later, but I, de I had this experience of divine grace and it's so sacred that, that you don't even want to talk about it when these things happen, you know, like they become so precious that, And also they affect your own level of being that you'll literally feel like a, a, a reduction in your state of being by sharing it because then you get into the ego consciousness the moment yeah. that you think of, of doing that. Yeah, I can see this. I've, I, can, I can own that in the past, especially my early days, even back in the days before when I was in my space of sharing certain experiences, insights, just to, because not only out of loneliness, but out of insecurity to need to get some sort of attention mm. right out of my uh, narcissistic wounded ego and all of that. 
And even back in the days uh, when I was still, you know, in into plant medicine or had experiences on high doses of mushrooms or DMT way back in the days, way before uh, Joe Rogan popularized it. That was early 2000s. I was writing on that on Facebook, these these peak experiences. And I thought, oh my God, I've seen God and, you know, and all of that. Mm. And obviously it got never uh, fully actualized, uh, actualized. Many of these experiences, as I wrote in my articles, I was actually lying to myself, mistaking like highly emotional states yeah. for true awakening or something, yeah, you yeah. know, which a lot of people mistake, you know, love for, you know, these, these higher states. Yeah, this or, is, all kinds of subjective emotional experiences for the true spiritual experience. And it's also important not to be like too hard on ourselves because it's really difficult to integrate like the true self into reality because all of our language, all of our ways of being in the world, all of the people around us are not living from that place. So, you know, um, even to say, you know, I felt this experience of divine grace or I had a great meditation, the moment that you... The moment that you verbalize it, you know, you're not in the self anymore because who is it? Who is the I that had the experience to begin with? So that's really important is that, you know, it's spiritual um, actualization is quite rare and spiritual realizations can be very common and spiritual actualization it may not even happen in this lifetime for us, um, but we can, I think, learn certain skills. Like we can learn to be a little bit less identified with our thoughts, for instance. So that can be an actualization in, in itself as long as we're able to practice that even in the most difficult situations. Yeah. And also it reminds me of something else besides, yeah, sometimes we can have so-called spiritual realizations because we see or we read something very profound that resonates with our innermost being through the intellect but it's not an embodied actualization but sometimes also i've had um, spiritual experiences and then later on they are verified by certain spiritual teachings or uh, literature i come across later on mm. right that happened a lot you know throughout um, my life, you know, even with uh, starting with uh, Goethe's work, Esoteric Christianity, or even Sri Aurobindo, a lot of what he's talking about, I've obviously not on his level, but a lot of his um, spiritual philosophy and insights uh, I've had before I came across. And then, you know, how it's almost how God, the divine or spirit works in terms of synchronicities. It kind of, um, you come across a certain teaching that actually verifies or puts you on the right track to go deeper with that realization. Right. Yeah. And then to actually form a tune actualization and a different, like John Wellwood said as well, there are different levels of realization, mm -hmm. right? It's like peeling an onion. Yeah. And um, it also ties into the descent and ascent. The more you, how you have a realization, it kind of also drags you down again and more stuff comes up. Like you, know, you mentioned at the beginning with, you know, meditation, you have an opening, a positive experience. Oh, this is beautiful. But all of a sudden, like it opens up a deeper layer that needs to be cleared to fully anchor that realization mm -hmm. towards an actualization towards embodying the divine. It's kind of funny because lately I've been having these experiences of like 
uh, I'm kind of hesitating to share it too quickly, but just as I described earlier, just joy and bliss for no reason. And then at the same time, I'm having, as you can see lately, a lot of anger come up. Like it's just, that's what's coming up in my being. That's what's, that's what this energy entering my being is also showing me. So it's usually an ascend and a descend and, Whenever I have quote unquote um, high peak experiences in meditation, almost immediately it will be followed by uh, anger, fear, terror, paranoia, all of these quote unquote states that we don't recognize. And I think it's interesting, like a lot of us also identify peak experiences as spiritual experiences. But in fact, if you take a less like black and white dualistic point of thing, Really being with the terror of being a human in my experience is also a spiritual realization, you know, in itself, mm. even though we may not remark it as such. And if you look at it more holistically, often that can be a spiritual realization. Mm-hmm. So uh, what also I want to touch on is that peak experiences are not uh, spiritual realizations in it of themselves. So what we what we think is a spiritual um, experience or spiritual realization may not uh, may actually be when we're really feeling into our suffering and we're crying because it, there there tends to be a light that kind of shines through in these experiences um, and also this important uh, message of containment. So not speaking about what you have seen, experienced, especially right after or even a few months after and almost treating it like a seed that you need to shelter, you need to water through consistent intentional efforts and also before you allow it to sprout and then when, when it sprouts, um, it will just demonstrate itself in your behavior and the way that you interact with reality. You won't need to speak about it. Like you don't need to go in the world and be like, oh, I'm such a kind and compassionate person now because I had this experience in my meditation and it was really beautiful. You'll just be that kind of person. Like you don't need to talk about it. You, it's just going to be who you are. Yeah, that ties also into spiritual bypassing and the ego right away hijacking spiritual experiences and turning into something um, you know to prop up the ego rather than <laughs> making it a service to the divine or just not you know using in a way to prop up or sharing in terms of which feeds self-importance and like we see especially in social media when people share what they've realized and experienced and again I mentioned before it may come from a well-meaning place but what is the true intention behind it and recently I've come across um, a certain passage from Sri Aurobindo's Integral Yoga where he and, and the mother who as well actually talk about the danger of sharing spiritual experiences. And here's an excerpt from um, Sri Aurobindo's Letters on Yoga in, in the letter to, uh, to a disciple. He writes, The light left you because you spoke of it to someone who was not an adhikari, a spiritual qualified person, apparently. The, the passing away of an experience as soon as it is spoken of is a frequent happening and for that reason many yogis make it a rule never to speak of what happens within them unless it is a thing of the past or a settled realization that nothing can take away. So basically mm-hmm. it has turned into an actualization. Mm-hmm. A settled permanent realization abides. But these were rather things that come to make possible an opening in the consciousness to something more complete. 
to prepare it for the realization. If you want to keep the joy, it will be wise not to sp speak of it to others. <laughs> Things sp spoken about get wings and try to escape. And he goes on, telling of one's own experiences to others is very much discouraged by most yogis. They say it is harmful to the sadhana. I have certainly seen and heard of any number of instances in which people were having a flow of experiences and when they told it, the flow was lost. So there must be something in this objection. I suppose, however, it ceases to apply after one has reached a certain long-established stability in the experience. That is to say, when the experience amounts to a definite and permanent realization, again an actualization, something finally and irrevo irrevocably added to the consciousness. I notice that those who keep their experiences to themselves and do not put themselves out on others seem to have a more steady sadhana than others. Mm. But I don't know whether it's an invariable rule. It would be probably not apply any longer after a certain stage of realization. Yeah, it's that, that idea of containment. And just remind, I was laughing because it reminds me of what happened yesterday. But at the same time, you know, I also think that the ego like wants to grasp onto it wants to identify itself as the experience of realization it's this grasping that makes it go away and then also you know um uh what was i going to say the the more that we like it, it's really important to contain it as well because the realization needs to go through a process in order to lead to an actualization yeah. and from my own experience, like having spiritual experiences and then, you know, trying to hold them in and watching them go through a process is the ego, if it doesn't identify with the experience, it will actually feel threatened by the experience. And mm. there's a bit of an internal battle that goes on because to truly actualize the self in your physical body that's not an easy task considering that all of our conditioning, everyone around us is all about identification with their, you know, family of origin, their traumas or stories, etc. Like, and not only that is we find interestingly and somewhat paradoxically, we find comfort in that old way of being because we're familiar with it. Even if it's causing us a great amount of suffering, we still find comfort in it and, identifying with a completely new state of consciousness, not identifying, sorry, merging into a completely new state of consciousness is literally like being reborn in the same life. And, a new, and for anyone who's had a near death experience or anything close to that death is not, it's not comfortable. It's an annihilation. I, I really like your, the way you phrase about containment and you made this great analogy. It's like a little, seed that is sprouting mm -hmm. right you need to take care of it tender it protect it so to speak and you made also a very important point because when we think of generally people think of spiritual realizations it's like there's all this love light and bliss this amazing opening you know samadhi nirvana and all of that but not realizing what you just said that it's this that true spiritualization is deeply threatening to the ego mm -hmm. so the ego more or less resorts to two options. One, it either hijacks it, right, to prop up, to build a spiritual ego unconsciously, yeah. right? The self-importance kicks in, even distortion of truth and all of that. Or it kind of rejects it as well, right? Mm -hmm. Because it doesn't want to engage. It kind of keeps you away from your practice, you know, with the thought injections that come even just from, from the ego, basically not having time to meditate. That's it. I'm already, 
you know, have already achieved this and that. Yeah. The moment you think you got it, you don't have it. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. You're just like on this plateau because it keeps going and going and going. And it happens so quickly because the ego is run by fear and nothing scares us more than the unknown and the complete unknown. And it just reminded me of an experience I had when I was in India. Um, this is years ago, so and it didn't really lead to an actualization, so I can share it. But I was uh, at a satsang of this woman and we were doing like kirtan, which is where you like sing mantras before the satsang begins. And I had this experience where my uh, consciousness broke out of my body and I was experiencing the con as, as the consciousness of the room. And it was so terrifying that, uh, that it, it shot me back into my body. So it, like my consciousness expanded outside of my body. Like usually we're only aware of the consciousness that goes on within our body. Some of us aren't even aware of that, but that's usually kind of the skin enclosure is our limited sense of self. But I was like experiencing the whole room as a... Like, like my, it just broke out. And then immediately there was a sense of like terror, not even fear, but terror. And then it shot me back in. And that's kind of like an analogy of how, you know, when the body, when the body isn't um, like a clear enough vessel to contain the experience, like my ego was strong enough to shoot me back in, then you can't ground that experience in reality. That's, that's interesting. It reminds me of what the mother said as well. Also one of the reasons why people don't meditate on a regular basis because unconsciously or con no, consciously they're terrified. The ego's terrified of silence. Yeah, exactly. Right. Because of this emptiness. Yeah. And that's why, you know, you would imagine like meditation is such an important part of, of a spiritual practice to be able to still the mind. That's like the foundation. It's not about using meditation as a escape from the world, but even especially somatic me to sit with anything that comes up and being able to still the mind, what you have experienced as well. But yet most of us, we have a hard time to have a consistent meditation practice to even just sit for five minutes a day or 10 minutes a day. Yeah. And then all kinds of excuses, distractions come up, which is actually the ego's way to uh, prevent annihilation because yeah. it doesn't want to go there, right? Yeah. It, there's fear behind it, actually. Yeah, because the continuous, the reason that not everyone has this, I, apparently, according to the article that I read, but the continuous stream of thoughts that maintains the ego. So the ego feeds off of us having this constant narrative. It proves that it exists through the continuous stream of thought. So the second that that stops, then we're not sure if the self that we thought we were exists anymore. Mm. That reminds me also because the mind right away, it wants to conceptualize, right? Yes. That's how the mind works. It yeah. wants to like prove and like what happened and f trying to find a reasonable, rational explanation. Yeah. Right. Follow that, which actually reminds me, I want to read this real quick as well. Uh, a quote from MP Pandit, who was a, a student of, of the mother and Sri Rabindo. And he writes, the modern rationalistic mind looks askance at the tradition common to all spiritual culture of not publicizing one's spiritual experiences. It ceases in the injunction on an unnecessary attempt of mystifications of experiences, which on the other hand should be boldly submitted to the open scrutiny of reason from as many angles as possible, like the typical scientific approach, like we need to like no objective analyze this mm -hmm. all experiences or happenings claiming to be spiritual must be recorded analyzed and verified objectively before they can be accepted hence we are told there should be no secrecy about these things it is a superstition with unwholesome consequences and should be done away with like the, the necessity to 
rationalize or, you know, scientifically even trying to approach spiritual experiences. Mm -hmm. He goes on, the truth of the matter, however, is different. Secrecy about one's inner experiences is enjoined is enjoined for very strong reasons. Spiritual experience always proceeds from a realm that is beyond the mind, and it has its own ways of working, which cannot be seized by the mental reason. To seek to understand it, to give it a thought form, is to interfere with its spontaneity. That puts a certain determination over the flow of the experience. It is much worse when one speaks of it to another. He makes a really interesting point here. When one does so, speak about one's experiences to another, spiritual experiences, a whole set of operations is set into motion. The understanding, the thought vibration, the reactions from others, mental and vital, the feelings of curiosity or envy, for example, the goodwill or bad will of others. Mm. All these start flowing from the person spoken to and they cannot but have a direct effect on the experience. Its duration, its direction, its intensity, all are subjected to the impact of these movements surging upon it from outside and the experience gets weakened, modified, if not interrupted. Yeah, that's definitely still a lesson that I'm learning too. And it just reminded me of some, because I, because I, you know, I realize that I share because there's like also um, the ego feels like, you know, I'm not even sure if it's the ego, but there's like some sort of mixture of like loneliness as well. You know, when you access mm -hmm. these different states of being and, you want to connect to someone in that place, but it just doesn't happen because it's just your own internal process and experience. And and I even remember um, at the retreat I was just at, you know, we had these meditation groups. And to be honest, like I loved them, but at the same time, it, I, it, they disrupted my experience because we were asked to kind of talk about what was going on in meditation practice. Oh, that's interesting. So and, they were uh, yeah, asking to share. They added that, though. I mean, it was meant to be as like kind of question answer about the practice, but people started sharing their own experiences. And that's one thing I realized is I was having these like, you know, incredible experiences like emptiness and all sorts of stuff. And then I would share it and I would literally feel other people comparing and being jealous. Mm. And it was like, and it actually like, you know, my heart was so open at the time. I just feel hurt. I'd be like, why couldn't they be happy for me? It brings up all of my childhood stuff, you know, not feeling seen, which kind of I think is also part of the process too. But it's a learning experience. I was like, okay. You know, it's important that I don't. And even when I felt, you know, I don't want to share and then I end up sharing, it always ended up being a mistake in the sense that like I felt and, and it, not in a mistake, because then when I shared and I didn't feel mad, it brought up deeper layer, layers of grief that I was holding on to. So it can't be used as part of the spiritual process, but I could see how it wasn't helping. Yeah. Yeah. And also like it's not the, that black and white, like Shirobuna mentioned before, it's just the premature sharing, yeah. you know, what's actualized, can I help others? And like, you know, there's something to be said. And like you mentioned Adya Shanti before, I think he has an amazing way of like putting into words yeah. these spiritual realizations, but it, it also comes in his case from a place of actualization and living and you can sense it in his speech. Yeah. And Adya well. Shanti, you know, he even talks about, I forget where he talks about this, but he talks about his experience before he had like his enlightenment, his, his spiritual actualization. And like, this is a guy who had a really strong meditation practice, had a teacher, you know, not that you need a teacher, but he was, he had support basically. And he went on retreat. Like, so this is not a guy who was just like reading a few books and meditating a half hour a day <laughs> and like doing his day job. Like he was a hundred percent in, you know? Yeah. So that's also another thing is that, um, 
a lot of us like were, and I didn't even know for myself in the beginning, like chasing peak experiences and we're not a hundred percent committed to the spiritual path. And even with myself, I can tell that there's like maybe 90% of myself that's in, but there's 10% that is strongly resisting because it fears its own annihilation. That's really what it comes down to. And it's like a death anxiety in a sense. So, you know, a lot of us want to meditate so that we can feel calmer and happier and be better in our lives or whatnot. But that's besides the point, like this is actually just going to, I mean, it's meant to open you up to the truth of reality. And now we have this whole other thing, which I call like make mindfulness, which is like we use mindfulness techniques to become better capitalists and better at business. And that's kind of the norm now in the mainstream. So, you know, a lot of us are using spiritual practices, which are meant to open up up to the truth of reality for our own ego's agenda, even to begin with. So when we start having the even potential for a spiritual actualization, it's not on our ego's agenda. So we'll automatically shut it away. In fact, we'll actively try and avoid it. Like I even know for myself, sometimes I'll intentionally, like I act, I'm at the point where I actually love meditating, but I'll intentionally not meditate because I'm too scared to go there. Mm-hmm. And, I'll, and it'll literally be a conscious choice. I'll be like, I'm too scared to do this. And, and I don't want to have to deal with it. But then ironically, sometimes the process will continue to unfold, even though my ego is trying to shut it off. Cause you have to understand that this is a momentum as well that we start to build. And eventually the momentum gets to be so strong that we're no longer holding the reins. We recognize that. Yeah. Yeah. That also reminds me, generally speaking, it's actually in a sense, quote unquote, easy first to have some sort of spiritual experience. Yeah. Just take ayahuasca (laughs) or, you know, or whatever. Like, yeah, these, that's how psychedelics kind of give you like some sort of, even it's a very, you know, you know, convoluted experience on, on medicine plants or psychedelics because it's a forced, yeah. uh, uh, you know, uh, experience, so to speak, by an external substance. But even like when you just basically meditate, you may have a basic opening, like a hard opening. You just get out of your mindset. You experience something more permanent within you, right? Mm-hmm. But then the more you progress on a spiritual path, I've noticed the resistance becomes stronger because yes. you go deeper, descend and descend, you reach higher, but then it drags you down lower, mm-hmm. right? To spiritualize your whole being. And then all stuff you haven't looked at for your whole life, your childhood past life is starting to come up, is starting to resist. Mm-hmm. And I can also relate to the resistance you mentioned, like in my meditation practice, I also make an effort to effort like that's also the the paradox like you cannot approach it with effort of trying to reach a goal because no, that's no, the no. ego <laughs> trying yeah. to like it's like it's about that surrender and surrender is not effort and again see when i'm in my you know process of aspiration and surrender to the divine as much as let go and just be with that without the ego the thought hijacking it you know of trying to get somewhere but then you know you know, and and my surrender towards divine will, this the psychic being, and all of that. But back in my mind, or deep inside, there's this resistance, not wanting to give up its control, yeah. Because the little I, the ego, wants what it wants, right? Yeah, and we also have this idea of like good meditations, but I don't feel that there is such a thing. There's like, yes, our ego has an idea on what a good meditation would look like, <laughs> but a good meditation 
is I on I think there's definitely ways that you can uh, optimize your meditation, so to speak, like have a good posture, have you know the right conditions. But a good meditation is not you achieve this peak experience. In fact, a good meditation may be something where you realize how insane your mind is, or you realize how you create a story out of a certain emotion. You know, these can be very good meditations. Just exactly, just already being aware how much. You have no control of the thoughts swirling in your mind. Mm-hmm. You're sitting and like having the monkey mind and all these discursive thoughts about what's going on in your life, this and that, what you've read, what happened on, on social media or whatnot, you know, and how difficult it is to silence that or just to not at least at the very least not identify with it. Yeah. You know? So maybe let's tie this go back maybe to what you read about John Wellwood. Yeah, and the importance of combining. Yeah. Yeah. So you know, we the, we were doing in the the shadow work, trauma, and occult forces course is we're really combining the psychological embodiment and spiritual work, and this is stuff that I know I've learned personally because I tended to go into just the spiritual work, and then at some point, you know, it's actually a good example. What I've already spoken about my time in India, I was getting all these like peak spiritual experiences. And then interestingly, like I also had divine guidance, like you need to actually practically look at your issues of sexual abuse and how it's showing up in your life. So engaging the, sorry, engaging the mind wisely and just being able to look at things clearly can be a really important stage. Like sometimes when we get too attached to the peak experience and we almost get too much into the right brain, the creative brain, and we're not actually seeing reality as it's presenting us, you know, we're not seeing that we're like getting the same relationship over and over again with different people. We're not able to see things clearly because we're so hooked on this bliss that we're not actually grounded in reality. So we need to balance all of these areas, especially as Westerners. I think we Westerners can really benefit from psychological work as long as it's not just psychological work, at least if they're on the spiritual path, because psychological work can keep you... Even Gabor Mate talked about it like... You know, he had, he was seeing a therapist for years. And like, at one point he realized that his therapist was basically like feeding off of him energetically. Like his therapist ego was like being validated by him as a client. So, Mm -hmm. you know, we can get in sorts of all sorts of traps in that sense. So this importance of combining the psychological, the embodiment and the spiritual work and the psychological helps us understand the nature of our mind and also our childhood conditioning, cultural conditioning and how that impacts us. The embodiment clears the vessel so that we can actually anchor these higher frequencies. Exactly. And also, you know, all the spiritual esoteric traditions, especially from the East, they're aimed at destroying the ego, right? Destroying the ego, embody the true self, you know, like, um, get out of any uh, self-interest, selfish desires and whatnot. But many of us in, in the Western world, we are deeply wounded, deeply insecure, low of self-esteem. We actually need to build a healthy ego, yeah. right? There's also this contradiction, which Carl Jung talked about the first half of your life. I'm paraphrasing him. Uh, it's about creating or building the healthy sense of self, healthy ego. The second half of your life is about destroying it. And even like, I remember Shia Bindut and I quoted him in my essay as well on that, about the necessity to actually create, build this healthy sense of self before we can destroy it. Mm-hmm. Like you cannot actually fully engage in true esoteric spiritual work until you have actually done a certain amount of psychological, psychotherapeutic somatic work to yeah. build a healthy sense. 
Yeah. Right. Otherwise, you will use any spiritual practice as a bypass. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. So maybe we can talk about some signs that a spiritual realization hasn't been integrated in your life. So number one uh, that I want to point out is that, okay, so my main practice is meditation uh, and yoga as well, and like asana practice. So at one point, a few early on in the first few years of my practice, and I was also like all in, I was like practicing every day. So um, this isn't like a lot of people kind of, they like, oh, I did yoga for a few months and then I stopped. Like I was like uh, loving it, you know? So I, but if I went a day without doing my practice, it would be madness in my life. Like, I mean, I would be miserable. I would get triggered. I would be like depressed. So if you can't go a few, like, because the practices themselves can also be something that we grasp to like, oh, I need to do my meditation yeah. or else everything's not going to go f- fine. And that's normal for one point in time because we're also kind of regulating. So I think it's actually good to kind of stick with your daily practice. But that's also a sign. If you have one day that you don't meditate and then you feel like your life is in chaos, then it kind of shows that something hasn't actualized itself yet. Not to like say that, you know, don't be hard on yourself, but that's just the reality. I noticed like, because now I can go a few days without meditating and my mind won't just go into chaos because something else is settled. Yeah, you can relate this to not to meditation, but any like yoga, qigong. I remember back in the days, my quote unquote spiritual practice was playing the drums. It really like helped me to release a lot of things, mm. you know, puts me in a different state of being, a higher level of being. But I was, I became addicted to it, literally. You yeah. know, if I wouldn't play drums for a couple of days, I was a wreck. I was an anxiety. So I had to go back to that. But mm. again, like you mentioned, it has its place, it has its face. But the point is goes back to um being actualizing it, which means you live it in everyday life, yeah. you know, in the most mundane, ordinary situations, right? And the the gauge is always your triggers, right? Mm-hmm. What you, you know, whatever you get uh, derailed by emotionally, or I can see it in myself. I have my meditation practice, but sometimes, you know, I my discursive thinking comes up, sometimes catastrophizing, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> I can see the mind, something happens, um, unexpectedly and in the situation and my mind automatically goes to the worst case scenario, you know, mm-hmm. so I got to be mindful not to identify with that, right? Which usually then gets me down a, a downward spiral. Um, also augmented by occult interferences and thought injections and all of that. So um, it is really, uh, but then again, like that's why the psychological work is so important because a lot of the triggers I experience, whatever, like, yes, I can still my mind, you know, through the deep meditation practice. But if that is in my own experience, not matched with deeper somatic psychotherapeutic work is almost sometimes just like a band aid. Right. Mm-hmm. It keeps you like the lid shut or like above everything. Yeah. Right. But it's not embodied. And the more you bring the force, the divine force into your body, it automatically, the divine truth shines a merciless light of everything that is not in alignment, that is still needs to be cleared out. Yeah, because it's easy to use like any spiritual practice to kind of calm your anxiety and calm your fear. But it's also important to find out where the fear comes from and the source of it. So that could be, I mean, in my in my view, it's stuck in your body somewhere, but we learned it from somewhere. It could be an old trauma, you know, so it's also about getting to the root of things. And yes, meditation can uh, uh, kind of still our mind a little bit more and um 
and calm our calm some of our emotional states but what is the root that's causing that and i think that's where psychological work really comes in exactly and so what are some other i mean signs of spiritual realization hasn't been integrated in your life if you're posting about it on uh social media is a really good sign um and also just look at like you know, have the ability to engage the rational mind wisely and look at your life very clearly and be ask yourself questions like, am I happy with my job? Am I happy in my relationships? How are my friendships going? Like literally basic questions that people are really afraid to look at and thus they end up going into spiritual practices so they can get out of body and then just feel happy, you know. Right, but also on that note, you know, this word happiness can be easy. Yeah. You don't want to like. Yeah. Uh, sorry. Project. Maybe happiness isn't the right word, but like. Is okay. it in alignment with. Yeah. How are my relationships going? You know, right. do like, are, how are they f- fulfilling my soul? Do I feel that this person is really emotionally open? And do I feel emotionally open? Am I able to connect to them? Like stuff like this. Is it helping you, know? you to grow? Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. So, like, really taking stock of your 3D physical life and looking at it because the one thing that, um, spiritual kind of escaping into the spiritual realm offers us is an escape from 3d reality and then 3d reality it's like kind of like what jordan peterson he's like clean up your room or whatever you know that kind of view like is like you know these these yogis and these saints you know even ramana maharishi there's stories that he was kind of living in some not so great physical 3d conditions so like looking at that you know like for myself i knew like you mean you see it now like the kind of chaos i can leave behind me you know it's been it's been um a work of intention to bring mindfulness into every aspect of my life you know and not not taking it as this cerebral out-of-body experience but being like okay can I be more present when I'm cutting onions? Can I be more present when I'm, you know, cleaning and the everything, house? Every, because on, you know, um, excuse me to interrupt, but this has realized me to like be mindful in every mundane, ordinary things in everyday yes. life. Because yeah. from this true spiritual experience, nothing is mundane and ordinary, yeah. right? There's no thing that is better or worse, like higher or lower, yeah. right? And, you know, the ego always looks for the next novelty, the peak experience. And like I mentioned before, many people, myself included, as well, um, especially in the past, mistake these higher emotional states as a spiritual experience. Yes. And it's also the ego's drive towards pleasure, pleasure, yes. and avoidance of pain, exactly. or mistaking pleasure as a, you know, or that's what I meant with happiness. Happiness, the word also, with the way it's being used, it's mostly related to something outside ourselves is giving us joy yeah. and happiness. Yeah, that's why I also think that there's some level of, I mean, a lot of people may disagree with me, but I know that for myself, like I started, um, I would became easier for me to integrate spiritual realizations into actualizations when my 3D life had some level of stability, i.e. I had like a home to live. I had an income. I was able to feed myself. You know, it actually started changing when I moved into this intentional community because before I was just moving around from place to place. I was like, you know, I was never, my root chakra was not grounded. And then the second that I moved in there, I felt like, and it wasn't just that. It was like, there was a certain amount of like the community was meeting some of my emotional needs, you know, as well. So I was like, okay, it was kind of like getting a 
this is kind of the conditions that you would hope for in your early attachment figures, you know, your family. But I was getting that there and I was able to kind of relax a little bit more and go deeper. So, you know, if we don't know where we're going to live or we're going through some huge upheaval that reflects in the 3D physical world, like uh, what I recommend people is like, you got to figure out your 3D physical life to a certain extent and then we can go deeper because, you just need that stability around you. You need to not be worried about how you're going to pay your rent or where you're going to live next month. You yeah. know, well, that ties into having a foundation before yeah. even engaging higher spiritual esoteric work. Um, so we're ending. We're at the end of the first hour. So let's uh, definitely go into that more into the second hour, and also for uh, listeners to uh, be aware of this, all what we're talking about uh, is we're going deeper also in our online course on shadow work, trauma, and occult forces, combining all these different aspects, the psychological work, the somatic embodiment work, the spiritual esoteric, and the shadow work, and also the tying in how this actually re- relates to occult hostile forces, entity attachments, interferences, and how you can really clear out the entry points and whatnot. And we're giving a lot of practical exercises and um, yeah like meditations um, psychological practices to reflect on so just merging everything together and also just based on stuff that we've learned that worked really well and just kind of making people's lives easier by condensing it rather than having to go through the kind of trial and error process that I know I went through (laughs) exactly Um, so in the second hour, Leah, I just want to talk more about the, the, the foundation, which I remember Gurdjieff talked about and, and, and Sri Rabindra as well. And also like what we see a lot, you know, so-called quote-unquote spiritual people now this danger is still engaging in huge amounts of projections, positive and negative projections. Um, and also the false idea that spirituality is about going higher and higher and becoming more and more perfect in all of that. And, um, you know, tying it into the into the process of ascent and descent and uh, some of the traps of the new age and uh, when we touch upon identifying of with spiritual realizations when the ego hijacks the journey and makes a whole new spiritual identity out of it exactly and all that so yeah let's explore this in the second hour for all members if you're not a member yet go to veilofreality.com where you can sign up for the membership. There you can find out more about our course as well. And uh, we'll see you guys on the other side. <laughs>